I'm Todd Jones, recovering from 30 years as a sports writer. Thanks for joining me as I sit down with some of the best sports writers of our time who knew the greatest athletes and coaches and experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past half century. We'll share stories behind the stories, some we've only told each other. Pull up a seat on Press Box Access. Okay, this episode is deep fried. Pour yourself a tall glass of sweet tea, kick back, we're heading down south with Ron Higgins. Ron is the tour guide you want if you're going to travel through SEC country. Not only is he a gracious Southern gentleman, he's been writing about the Southeastern Conference for more than 40 years. He knows the landscape, he knows the characters, and Ron knows how to tell a good story. This is going to be a hoot. Hey, Ron, welcome to Press Box Access. Ron, welcome to Press Box Access. I am glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, I once read a quote of yours, Ron, that said, my approach to writing is like I'm sitting in a bar and telling you the story. Now, I must say, as a child, the nuns taught me how to diagram sentences. I have the bruises on my knuckles from the ruler still. And the key word, if I diagram that sentence, is bar. Yeah, you sports have to writers and bars, right? Yeah, sports writers and bars. You have to realize that I did grow up in Baton Rouge, and uh, you know, my dad did work at LSU in sports information. I did have, have access to Tiger Stadium on Sundays after home games, so I did learn about liquor bottles, you know, empty liquor bottles. So naturally, that's I kind of got that idea. You know, when you have, when you tell a guy a story in a bar, it's kind of just like matter of fact. Uh, you know, where the person can understand it, they laugh at it, and then they get it. There's no, uh, it's, it's more storytelling. And, right. and I try to do that to where I, I tell a story where all demographics can read my story, understand it mainly. Uh, when, I, when I, I mean, sometimes women don't like to read sports, but they don't like to read sports jargon. So I try to make it not so much about sports jargon, but the person in the story. And that seems exactly. to always work for me. Yeah. Yes, and you've done it so well. I mean, you've done it for over 40 years, and I know you've covered some major events, Olympics, NBA Finals, uh, but really you spent 40 years in the South, so what you're really best known for is covering the Southeastern Conference, football and basketball primar primarily, but also, you know, LSU baseball and some other things. But football and basketball, but especially football, in the South, you worked 29 years in Memphis, you did four other, what, seven other jobs in four states? Is that right? Oh, yeah, Throughout yeah. It was, like I was, it was like I was on the run, actually. I mean, the, what are you, punching Sundance? Is like the yeah, yeah. You know, who are those guys? You know, once, <laughs> they kinda, once I saw the guy in the white hat, I just kept running. Right, was that Lord right. Baltimore? Yeah, Lord Baltimore was chasing me from Butch and Sundance. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and it's been, you know, you get a different dynamic everywhere. I mean, I've, I've worked in Mississippi where it's Mississippi State versus Ole Miss State. People want to mm -hmm. know. Why are Ole Miss and Mississippi State always on probation most of the time? Well, the answer is why. Because if one school does well, the other school is going to dig and find something on them find something on to put them on probation. It's been going on <laughs> back and forth forever. I mean, forever. <laughs> but, see, but that doesn't happen in Alabama and Auburn because there, there's a – I mean, they've been on probation, but they never turn each other in. There's a respect level of, uh, let's say, a respect level of, 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 of cheating. I mean, you know, more than, I guess the best way to put it, that, you know, if you, if you got a player we didn't and you did something legal that we didn't do enough of, well, by God, you just beat us with a recruit. I mean, we now have you don't to, have to... We have to up our game. Yeah, now you don't have to do that. Now at the NIL, you just kind of put the bid on the table and say, is this good enough? Or what does other... I mean, how can I make my bid better than other school? Yeah. Well, you did all these sports. I mean, like I said, you you know, you, you've done... You've written pro sports, the Saints in New Orleans, the Grizzlies in Memphis. You've done major events. But when you think about the college sports that you've covered so well, four decades in the South, what is it about the passion of the sports fan in the South. What's it like to write for them? It's insane. I mean, I mean, you, you could write a bunch of objective stuff, but even some good things, but the first bad thing you write, you're the, you're the enemy of the state, baby. You know? Mm. Uh, but I always, I always tell people, you know, I, I write exactly what I believe and, and what I think, and I don't write something I don't believe. And that's my opinion, and I don't, uh, I don't write something just to get clicks. You know, people right. all say, now, now, like, no, I don't like to get clicks. I write, you know, you know what, I, what I think. 
Uh, right. Very passionate, but there's always a storyline. There's always something going on. I mean, in the South, there's, I mean, I learned that early. I mean, I learned that early. And I'm just, I learned it about characters early. Uh, you know, I learned, I learned stuff like, uh, I probably haven't told this story before. When I was working at LSU Sports Information, uh, they had a thing called the SEC Skywriters. And what the Skywriters was, it was an original group of, of, of writers from the South. And this was before they had SEC Media Days. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so what they would do is they, the SEC would charter a DC-3 plane, a, a Leonard Skinner special, and, uh-huh. uh, and all these writers would go on it, and they'd go, they would fly from city to city uh, and write stories and visit with coaches and players and drink a whole lot and party a whole lot. <laughs> and it was one big, it was one big, you know, rolling, riding, drunk festival for, you know, to cover all these schools. Uh, right. I never went on it. I always wanted to. And, and, but I, I, two things I knew about it. One, I knew they drank liquor because when I was at LSU, I worked as a sports formation intern. And my job before the Skyriders came in was my, my, my boss, Paul Manassa, a Hall of Fame SID, said, I need you to go to this place to pick up the liquor for tonight's media party. Mm-hmm. So I take the take the company car. So I go over there and I back this thing up, and open the trunk, and uh, I look at this this little corner of this real liquor, like a little corner of liquor. I said, okay, I mean, is that it right there? He goes, no, it's that whole wall right there. <laughs> so what? Yeah, it's the whole wall. But uh, but I always I always wanted to go on the Skyriders tour because they had great stories and one of the best I ever heard. I wish I would have been there. One night they're partying somewhere. In a, in a hotel suite, and this guy they've never seen comes in, but there before, and he is absolutely drunk out of his mind. And he basically just kind of lays down on this buffet table and passes out. Nice. And like, they, they, they look to see if he's breathing. I mean, they can't see if he's breathing. So they, they start dumping ice on him. Just like, like all these beer chips, start dumping his beer chips. Like, we, we've got we've to wake him up. And then finally, <laughs> they just can't get him up. So they, they don't know who they, they just leave. So the next morning, they're standing around waiting to get on the plane right. and, they're, and, they're, and they're waiting for the new pilot. Guess who the new pilot is? It's the oh. guy on the table who was passed out drunk. Oh, my God. Like, 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 they nicknamed him Crash. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I learned in early ages a lot of characters. And, and you know, some of the most famous ones probably was, uh, probably the most famous was Miss Bear Bryant. Uh, right. Uh, my first running with Bear Bryant I don't say run in, but it was uh, <laughs> it was quite an event. I was when I was working for LSU Sports Formation, ABC hired me to be a field producer for several of their games, and mm-hmm. my job was to get teams on and off the field and report injuries to the producer because that time they didn't have sideline reporters per se. So you right. kind of report, and so but in this game in, in Legion Field in uh, 1978. Uh, Alabama comes on the field late for warm-ups, and, and ABC's whole thing is we do not want to be come on the air when we're playing the national anthem. So everything mm-hmm. has to run on time. So they're running late, and so this person says, you need to go get Alabama off the field. I said, and, uh, okay, uh, how do you, uh, you, you want me to do that? Just go tell Brian to get his team off the field. Uh, I went, oh, sure, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I went, Bear, Bear Bryant? I said, yeah, Bear Bryant. Just tell him. So I, I kind of walked down there, but I kind of want to do this. So I'm, I'm talking to the elephant, Al, the elephant. Hey, can y'all, you think you can get y'all's team off the field? <laughs> Wait a you know, minute, you're talking to the mascot? Yeah, I thought about it. You think you can, like, maybe somehow get them off the field? And, and, I, and I go back to my head. So I said, I can't get it. Because have you talked to Brian? I said, no. I said, okay. So I walk up there. Like, it's like walking to death row. I'm just trudging up there. Like, I'm just dreading this. And I walk up there, and I said, uh, just nervous as hell. Co- 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 Coach Brian, this is, I'm, I'm Ron Higgins with, with a, a, a ABC Sports, and the, and the guys in the truck would, uh, they would like for you to get off the field as soon as possible so we can get the game meet start on time. And I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I'm and, of course, you stand there, as always, leaning at the goalpost, the door cracked down, can't see his eyes, arms crossed, kind of leaning feet crossed, like he always did. Yeah, Classic the iconic pose. pose of a coach Classic in college pose. football. Right. Bear and I'm walk, and walking away, I'm hearing him cuss. I'm damn, 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 damn. I said, okay, oh, I, I feel what I could. So, right when I get to my headset, I hear, teams run off the field. Producer says, yes. nice job, man. What'd you do? I, said, I just told the old son, let's get his team off the field. That's what I did. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Take the credit. Uh, the Gator Bowl between Ohio State and, and Clemson. 
And uh, Woody Hayes' last game. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. All and right, what so, do you got, sir? And so, first of all, the night before, we had to take lineups in the, in underneath the stand because it was raining. So this is where I got my first taste of Woody. That uh, he was a lot of times not a nice person, especially to, like, anybody in the media. Uh, and, was, you know, so we're, we're taping lineups, and that means we're just, we're standing, we're having a guy right here, and he moves, and he's another one. And so what he's just standing right here, and he's just snarling at guys, you know, get the gun out your mouth, blah, 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 this And mm-hmm. so finally, we get everybody, and I say as pleasantly and as respectfully as possible, Coach Hayes, the, the guys in the truck, you're the last person, you know, we really appreciate, we'd like to shoot you now. Woody Hayes. Yeah, a lot of people like to goddamn shoot my ass, wouldn't they? <laughs> go, okay, okay, I appreciate it. Uh, so next night, game night. I go, Ron, you got the high state sidelines. I go, why? Exactly. <laughs> what are we doing to deserve this? Right? He knows my face. Yeah, he's not happy with you already. Right? <laughs> he goes, well, just keep out of sight. Just try to keep out of sight. But I said, I'm 6'5". How do I keep out of sight? I'm 6'5", and I have blonde hair. How do I keep out of sight? <laughs> well, just, just try to keep out of sight. So I did. So, but towards the second half, I mean, I, I basically, I, I just stood up on the bench. I just sat, stood up on the bench. He wasn't, they, they couldn't see. He was on the game. So I stood up on the bench you know, right in front of me in the field. And so here it happens. Uh, high State quarterback throws, uh, throws the interception. Clemson linebacker Charlie Bauman intercepts. He gets tackled right at Woody's feet. Bauman is looking up the referee, trying to find hold the ball up. What do you think he's taunting him? Grabs him by his shirt and hits him with the uppercut. In Ohio, they say Charlie Bauman's face got in the way of Woody's fist. It could have happened, but I don't think so <laughs> because I was watching it 10 feet away. And I can tell you, Charlie Bauman did not, you know, let's go to the replay. Let's go to the, you know, review. Let's go to the headset. Uh, there was no upward push by Charlie Bauman except when Woody grabbed him by his jersey and hit with an uppercut. Yeah, right and, in the neck, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And bam. And so, Bauman's just stunned. You know, like, what did it mean? People are swarming. Woody's kind of hitting his assistance with a clipboard, going to get away. I'm like, this is insane. And so, on TV, you can't really see this uh, if you're looking at the monitor because it happened so much in front of the house. They bench. There were people standing up in front, so you couldn't see. I could see. Uh, And so the uh, producer asked, what's going on? I mean, what's going on? I said, Woody, the guy that set the ball in front of we just picked it up and punched him. He did what? He punched him. Are you sure he punched him? Yeah, he punched him. Are you sure? We can report it. I said, I saw him punch him. And, and of course, ABC didn't want to go with that. I mean, I'm just a 20-year-old college student. Who, you know, they don't think they can trust or don't, you know, just, I didn't see what I was supposed to see. Yeah, I mean, ABC, let's face it. You're only 10 feet away. What, I'm only anyway, 10 feet away watching it, but they, they, they were like, we can't do that. You know, we know just say, right. and, and, uh, and so ABC never really reported on it right away, or he went, maybe went back to it because they tried to go to the replay right away. The problem was that Keith Jackson, who's ever doing the game, I may, may have been Aaron Parsegan, may have been, may have been uh, Frank Brothers, uh, you know, that, that's right, Keith. I didn't see anything. Uh, mm-hmm. okay, well, I think it was Frank Brothers. But anyway, they didn't see because they were looking at the field and not the monitor. If they looked at the monitor, they might have seen it. Right. They went, when they finally got a replay from the Jacksonville TV station, it was tape of tape delay, you could see it, but they didn't address it right away. And so all of America thought well, there was a plot. Why didn't they address it right away? Because when the producer asked for a replay, the replay machine malfunctioned and did not work. And so they had to wait for a while to get a replay. So, uh, and that, you know. You're right there when, when, yeah, when history right there happened. And when, when, did when you, history, did you when, go when, to the locker room? with? I, the I followed, you know, me being a, a, a budding sports writer, uh, I followed the, the Ohio State big guys in the locker room standing outside and and, you know, you saw the Ohio State president enter, and he was not happy. And you knew. And all the yeah. beat going, they, they're going, he's, he's done. And he, and he was done. So right. I was kind of in there on, on that. Uh, yeah, it's fired the next day. Woody Hayes' last yeah, game. Yeah, fired the next day. Uh, down there in Jacksonville, Florida. And you were there for it. And and you were, you were at a lot of historic events. And really, let's face it, you grew up with Southern sports. I mean, you, like you said, you were a budding sports writer at the time. You became a sports writer in 1979, but your days around Southern sports go back to when your father, Ace Higgins, was a sports information director at LSU from 1954 to 68. So you literally grew up with the SEC. What was it like having a father in that position and being a child who basically grew up at LSU Stadium? Well, 
it, it was uh, it was why I became a sports writer. I, I just loved the whole feeling of of, of being in a game and, and being in a press box and and uh, writing and seeing the camaraderie, the camaraderie between the writers. Uh, just the whole atmosphere. I loved it. Uh, and I just, uh, and I learned to write really from uh, just and, and watching my father write. And, uh, but I learned to write because my father would moonlight at the Baton paper in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would, he would help them put together their preseason college and, and high school football section. And, it was, was massive and kind of still is for this, this newspaper in Baton Rouge because it's a probably on paper and they just, they don't care about the money they spend. But uh, he would help put the stuff together. So I would go up in the summer with him and, and up to the, the newspaper every night, every night. Like it how was, old, it was like like how old the, were you? I was, I was like se- I was seven, eight years old when I started. And it was like the, the greatest atmosphere. I just loved it. I loved the, just like watching guys write their stories and the whole, the whole atmosphere and, you know, going downstairs and watching them do the hard press pipe set, the old pipe set stuff. I mean, the, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, back in the day when it wasn't new. I mean, I loved all, everything about it. But I learned how to write. I would stand over guys' shoulders and see how they wrote their stories. And so right. I, I, I started. I, I taught myself to type with two fingers and a thumb. Are which you still, I, I, you still hunt and peck? Yeah, I mean, it's run and gun. Actually, I kind of <laughs> yeah. upgraded yeah. the speed yeah. to it. Deadline, I, right? I, I tried. I tried to take it. I tried to take it in high school, but. Uh, I really couldn't grasp it. The only thing I did a good typing class in high school was that I could play the Hawaii Five O theme on the typewriter. <laughs> uh, basically, All right. uh, earworm now. Look out! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, you hit the shift with a bass drum; it works really well. So, Ron, but, how old were you when you actually wrote a story for the newspaper? Eight years old. Eight years old. You were eight years old, and you wrote, you would write yeah. for the paper. Yeah, the, 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 my first time the the, the, the sports editor, Bud Montet, guy. Older guy, little guy smoked a pipe, came up to me and said, we're going to have a, a American League. The, the American League is bringing in their, their score sheets of the games. And they have who won at the starting pitcher. They have, like, the major hitters, and they have, like, home runs. Can you write us six or seven paragraphs? I said, sure. So I did that. And, you know, like, I was thrilled. There was an X-Day paper. I mean, there was there. I, mean, I knew it was mine. It wasn't any name on it, so I knew it was mine. So I did that for, for several years. And finally, when I was about, I guess, 13 or 14, uh, uh, my dad died when I was 12. He had, he had a heart attack, mm-hmm. uh, and he died. But uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the business was in me by then. I mean, it was, I, was, I was done. I, I was all in. You had the bug, yeah. And so, and so my, 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 the, the preparer of the advocate, Tech Estella, who's still living, he goes, uh, we'd like for you to go cover a game, and we'll give you a byline. I said, you like, my name on it? Yes, it will say Ron Higgins, the advocate correspondent. So how old, wait, okay. how old are you yeah. now at this point? Uh, I'm like 13. 13, 14 most. you're going to get a byline. Yeah, but I might. Yeah, but he, goes, he goes, so can she drive you to the game? And, I know a driver likes, can you drive me to the game and, and drive you back to the paper for you to write the story? Your, your mom's taking said, you yeah. to the game, I love it. Yeah, yeah, drive me up. <laughs> I should be done my own, so come get me. And I, I need to get to the paper to write this. You know, because then you... It was, then it was done by typewriter. It still wasn't done by computer. You still couldn't file anything over a phone unless you dictated it, which every once in a while we all have done because right. nothing worked. And, and some of today's youth don't understand that when you say that, yeah, I had to dictate. They go, we mean not dictate. Well, you compose your story in your head and you dictate. Your, and people were there taking Yes, they were. So anyway, 13 years old, walking in the game, curve my first game, walk in the restroom after the game, see the coach, walk toward him. He goes, hey, like, who are you? I said, Ron Higgins. He goes, listen, hey, Ron, we need some more towels. <laughs> you need some I more said, towels? <laughs> I said, well, I said, well, I said we, we, Ron, we need some more towels. I said, oh, coach, I'm not your manager. <laughs> what are you doing here? I said, I'm Ron Higgins for the morning. I said, I'm covering the game. You're a sports writer. Said, yeah, coach, I am. So you're a sports writer. I said, yeah. Okay, ask me a question. Okay, coach, you know, the first half, you really ran the ball well. I mean, you like you have dominated running the ball, just had good offensive rhythm. The second half, it seemed like you broke your rhythm by trying to throw the ball. Was it something the defense did, or did you feel like you just wanted to pass and, and, and work on your passing because you felt like you had a lead and you could do that? You are a sports writer. <laughs> I said, I told you I, I, I told you I was. He's getting grilled uh, by Opie Taylor. Yeah, it's exactly. A so, so, so he didn't, you know, it was like that was the first introduction. Uh, 
Uh, to, to that. Well, you had the bug early and, 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 and you yeah. never left. You're still riding. And you mentioned Bear Bryant. Bear was still Alabama's coach when you started in 79. And you have yeah. come across so many characters, uh, you know, especially in college football. What is it about college football that drives the South crazy? I think it's because college, the North has been dominant. The no- Pro football started in the North, and most of the teams start in the North early. The, the, the Southern football, the South, didn't really start until the, basically until the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There wasn't nothing. You know, the, the Dolphins weren't around. The Saints weren't around. The Hawks, I mean, not the Hawks. I mean, the, uh, Falcons. the Falcons. The, all this stuff kind of started in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you probably had the Oilers start in the early 60s. Or, but anyway, so the college teams were your pro teams. Right, and and that's and that's why there was an allegiance, and of course you, a lot of these teams when you when you went to these colleges, and a lot of these towns were were not huge cities because everything revolved around the college, mm-hmm. and that's why it just kind of remained that way. Even though there have been proteins, even though the Saints came in, and, and, and God knows the people of the Saints, the people still had that affiliation to LSU. They remember Billy Kenn and when the Heisman in in, in '59 and making the Halloween run. Mm-hmm. Uh, they remember uh, Joe Willie Namath of Alabama and the white shoes they played. They all remember their football heroes because this was their pro team. And even now they are pro teams. There's still, uh, I guess, a line of demarcation for a lot of people that they just, they going to love their colleges. And it's something that, that really, it's in some places like Alabama, where I worked for about a year and a half in Mobile, and I got a real indoctrination in Alabama-Auburn. It's, it's a 365-day-a-year deal. Okay, then, okay, go say this is being, I mean, I don't know which, I don't know which fan this guy was of, of what school, but when I first went to work in Mobile, I lived across the, 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 the bay in Fairhope, which is a wonderful little town. It's like living in Mayberry, honest to God. It's like Mayberry on the bay. You leave your door open, you know, the homecoming parade comes by, the, the sun's going down over the dock. You're like, is this real? So I go, I go running down the bay one day, and I, I stop. And I'm sitting on the bench, and this guy sits on the bench beside me, and he kind of glances over at me. He goes, "You're that new sport writing fella." <laughs> I said, uh, "Yes, I am." He goes, uh, "Okay." He goes, "Let me ask you something." I said, "Okay." He goes, "Are you Alabama or are you Auburn?" Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I said, "I'm neither." And like I blew his mind, like, "What?" That didn't compute, <laughs> said, right? What? Right. That's kind of the way it is. I mean, honest to God, and, and it's. When people recognize you in crazy places, it's, it's kind of. This is, I, I'm just so sick with the distance because this is obviously not happened before. You go to a bathroom, a public restroom, and you're at this little trough doing your business, and you know how in some places they'll have like they'll have like carryouts with sports pages over the over the toilet. But right. Some places have that where you can read. So here I am. I'm, I'm doing my business, and I see the guy right here, and he's looking up, and there's one of my columns. And I can see him going. <laughs> he's reading you at the urinal. <laughs> he's reading me at the but he's kind of looking at me like, is that him? <laughs> is, is, is that him? <laughs> and before he says, I, that's you, I go, yes, that is me, and uh, nice to meet you, and you don't have to shut my hand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, 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 I'm, I'm proud to be a sports writer, but there are times that you would like to be not known. Uh, there was the time that I go to get a vasectomy. I'm getting wait, my wait, vasectomy. Wait a Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to get a vasectomy. I am on the table. I am out there for the world to see. I have a laser pointed between my legs. There is smoke coming up. <laughs> Things are happening. Oh. And then my and my my doctor who knows I'm a sports writer, and I covered University of Memphis basketball. Larry Fitch was coaching. So while he's doing this, it's like I'm on a sports talk show, and I'm going to answer questions. Hey, I got you. I got a question for you. That's good. I mean, I understand. You know, and there's still two in-game adjustments. Can this coach? Can, can he cut it, Mr. Coach? Can he cut it? And I'm, I'm looking at this guy and smoke. I'm, I'm like. I really, right now, I just want you to cut it. That's all I, all I want you to do. I'd appreciate it. Okay. okay. 
Yeah. Okay. I just okay. I just want to I just want to warn everybody. I've officially lost all control of this episode. Oh, oh okay. It's great. So you know, I'm just. Okay. Okay. That's one. This is the second one. Okay. Uh, I'm currently NBA finals in Orlando. Of course, there's a second one. Go. Go ahead. Of course, I'm currently NBA finals in Orlando. I'm getting on the plane and flying to Houston, okay? Right. So, for the, one of the few times in my life, I get a first class up there. So, I'm sitting there next to the guy in first class, and he's one of these guys who chatted up. He's chat, 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 chat. And so, I'm not saying much. I'm trying not to, you know, reveal what I do. You know, he's, he's talking, talking, talking. And so, finally, he said, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a writer. Or what kind of writer? I write sports. Because you're going to use So, are you coming to NBA finals? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to NBA finals. But look, 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 like, these first two games, I don't understand what's going on. I mean, I mean, the Magic gets swept. They don't get the ball to Shaquille. Nick Anderson, they can't make free throws. They just go all this stuff. And, man, and right about then, we're, we're just taking off about 10 minutes into it, and you hear the plane go, boom. And you feel the plane dip a little bit. What? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you hit like a, like a pop. And the plane kind of dips and levels out. I'm going, this ain't good. Yeah. And he goes, oh, it's, it's just nothing. And about that time, you get this. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain. Uh, listen, we've had a little engine problem, but one of our engines is uh, not working. And I'm thinking, a little problem? Yeah. Uh, but it's perfectly fine. We can fly on one engine. I'm thinking, oh, sure. you only have one engine left to fly on. We're, we're going to turn around and uh, we're going to turn around and, 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 and land in Orlando and change equipment. But uh, it's, uh, like I said, just remain calm and, and he pauses and he says, and then when the, the, the services give you, uh, you know, directions for emergency landing, put your head between your legs. <laughs> so we're turning around. I'm looking around. Uh, I, I see two priests. They're praying. People are praying. And this guy is still talking. Okay. I mean, so what do you think they can do? When he's, I mean, what do they can do? So we're coming for a landing. We're going 9,000 miles an hour because this guy can't let up on the throttle. We're going to dip. Right. Okay. Right. So our heads are between our legs. And I, our guys are good. My, here's my guy. Well, I think it's about all about stopping the last one. I don't think the other ones are a problem. But they, he's still you, you got the game. Whole, he's still talking about, about the landing with, with one engine. It's all about stopping the last one. That's what they got to do. And I'm looking up and we hit the runway. And I, I mean, we're going 90 miles an hour. I see ambulances chasing us, fire trucks chasing us. And this guy's like, I just, I just tell you, I think they can win one. I really do. They've done enough to win games. And so I'm one of the first guys off the plane, okay? Like the right. first guy, I'm the first, I'm the first guy to the counter, go to the counter with my new friend next to me, right. okay? Yeah, exactly. And there's 86,000 people behind me. And I, and I get up there, and, uh, and the guy, the Delta guy to rebook me. He goes, wow. Uh, he goes, you need to get to Houston right away. I can rebook. And the guy goes, the guy next to me goes, oh, he needs to get there. He's a, he's a sports writer. Oh, yeah. And the guy behind the counter goes, What's wrong with the magic? I mean, why can't they make free throws? <laughs> Honest to God. I, I, went, I, I, immediately, I immediately turned around and waved my plane and sat and wrote a column on it because it was too good to be true. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, that's, that's one of my all-time favorite stories already. <laughs> Well, I, I I must attest that I I have a fondness for the the Southern sports fan. I, you know, I grew up in Kentucky. I graduated from the University of Kentucky back in the, the 1980s, and I used to travel to the games and, and cover them as a young reporter. And uh, even most of my career was pretty much in Ohio. One time, I got sent down to Alabama, and like I guess it was 2003 to spring when Mike Price's story exploded. Oh my God! He was the Alabama coach for like oh yeah. I don't know, 10 minutes or something. And it was a story where he got caught at a strip club and, you know, and it's rolling, baby. So I actually went down there. I don't know why, but I'm down there with all these Alabama writers. And uh, the news is breaking that Mike's been fired. And we're in Larry White, the sports information director. We're in the foyer of his office. And he's handing out the press release to us, to the writers. And he says, while he's handing out, Lord have mercy, what a damn zoo. Well, I remember going through Tuscaloosa and I was just going to iconic places like where Bear Bryant used to eat breakfast yeah. and went to the museum that has his office recreated. Yeah. And uh, actually went out to Mike Price's house with another Oh, writer. my God, you're a bold man. And we got around the gate 
to his driveway and walked up to the front door, knocked on the door, and I think it was his son answered the door. He was not happy at all, and he had these big dogs jumping around. He's holding them back, trying to keep them there, and we're trying to explain why we would like to talk to Mike, and he's not having any of it. And all of a sudden, one of those dogs broke loose and took off running down the high, the road, and I'm thinking Mike Price has lost his job. He's probably going to lose his wife, and now he's lost his damn dog because some sports writer from Ohio of all places shows up in Tuscaloosa. So I cost Mike Price's dog. That's uh, like him for the cycle there. Yeah, it was it was not good. But I mean, what I'm getting at is the passion down there. The the craziness is just legendary. Uh, and, and you covered so many of these characters. I mean, I was thinking about football, and we talked some Alabama there. But but I'm also thinking about Steve Spurrier at Florida. I mean, I think of Spurrier as a guy who who like you know he became the guy in the '80s and '90s that really sort of started changing the SEC, right? Yeah, he, he really did. He he really pushed the SEC forward. It, it has to turn out on both sides of the ball because, you know, he created an offense that he called, uh, the, I guess, the, the fun and gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seemed like somebody was always open and they were always throwing. And, and at that time, the SEC really put most of the athletes on the offensive side of the ball, and he kind of knew that. There was nobody to got guy, cover guys in space. Right. It just wasn't happening. And uh, he forced the SEC really to improve defensively, to, to you know, until honestly, until until Saban came along at LSU in 2000 when he got the LSU job. You know, that's when they started. He realized you have to recruit defensive backs who are just as athletic who can cover these people in space, linebackers who can cover these people in space, and and so sport forces change. And, and and but the best thing about Steve was, and what I still miss to this day, is that he was unfiltered. Uh, there was never a worry about bulletin board material, you know, being read because he was just going to say what he said. Yeah, uh, he, just, he, he just didn't care. Yeah, I mean, he was just going to say. And, 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 and he, look, he was honest. I mean, he, 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 you know, he jabbed his own team. You know, it, it wasn't just you know, you know, him loving jabbing Tennessee. You know, you you can't spell citrus without UT. Or, <laughs> right, or, right. Or even or, or even when the, the Florida, it, when Tennessee, like I guess, played the national championship or played the better bowl, and Florida went to the citrus bowl. Spurry would say something like, you know, I want to thank the, the Tennessee boss for letting us use their winter home. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was always a death, but the, the best part about him was he was honest about his own team. I mean, one year, I mean, they got beat at Mississippi State. They, they played awful. I think mean, Shane Matthews had been Florida's quarterback. They were terrible. They got beat uh, by at least two touchdowns or more. And, of course, Florida, the, the, the state fans run the field, tear the goalposts down, and after the game, Spurry says, you know, I don't know what they do in that for. I mean, they need to wait till they beat a good team, you know, before they do that. Right. Uh, the next year in Florida, Florida, just, uh, it was like 56 to nothing, something like that. And and, and Florida's like late in the game, throwing deep, throwing deep for a, a, a touchdown pass late in the game. Uh, and hey, he was open. Spur- I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. My <laughs> story, what, what was that for me, really? He goes, I'll tell you about what that for. We had a student manager last year. That game, you know, they won. Around the field, and he was guarding our jersey. He got cold cocked. That touchdown was for our state manager. Wow. Uh, uh, he didn't forget, right? But you know, but to the very end, you know, the, you know, he quit like after in midseason after an LSU game where they got they got beaten that Rouge. And he always told me, he goes, he goes, the day that I don't think that I'm doing my football team any good, that they're that I'm not helping them, they're not listening to me, that I'm not doing good. He almost quit right then, and he did. He was true to his word. He was, right. he was true to his word. And, and I miss him. He was a little laughing yeah, at the such dying a character. Yeah, were there, yeah. other, were there yeah. other characters uh, in the South, coaches that come to mind besides I mean, most, most, of them like bas- or like? most of them are basketball, basketball coaches. In the, in the 80s, in the 70s, 80s, 80s, particularly in the SEC, SEC Media Day for basketball was like one big floor show. I mean, everybody was, was an entertainer. Yeah, you, Wim had, Sanderson. you had Wim Sanderson, you had Sonny Smith. <laughs> you had Hugh Durham. Right, you know, Georgia. You, I, mean, I mean, he before he went in and spoke to the press, he used to like corner me and another writer from National, Joe Biddle. And he'd say, "What's everybody talking about? What's what's the topic?" Mm-hmm. You know, and the one year was like uh, athletic dorms being 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 ruled out. So he goes in there and he opens up. He opens up with this like this ten minute rant on athletic dorms. It was the funniest damn. Story. It was like. Ten minutes of that gold. That didn't go over well in Kentucky. I know that. <laughs> and, and of gold. And then the ten minutes, he goes, 
questions. And there's this one guy from who covered Tennessee, and he asks every coach the same damn question. Mm-hmm. He goes, Coach, uh, can you uh, tell, tell us who your, your starters might be? And you can see he hear him go, like, he went, he went, <laughs> you know, like. Ripped the road, was, dude. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, had, you had characters all throughout the league, and, and it made it fun. Uh, Why do you think you know, it was looser then? What was it about it that coaches weren't so afraid to uh, to say what, what was on their mind? I guess, I guess you had a, a lack of corporate sponsors, and you had, uh, there wasn't a, a ton of money there. I mean, you didn't like you, I mean, Guys aren't being paid like they are. It's like it wasn't. It wasn't a uh, for basketball at least. It wasn't a, a big money business. It even and even then the term NCAA term was kind of just getting cranked up. It was getting bigger. Uh, you know, getting more important. So maybe there was more important place on basketball. But I guess you just have these guys who was absolutely. Hilarious. Well, I remember yeah. being a student newspaper repo- reporter for the uh, Kentucky Colonel at the University of Kentucky, and one of, and I started writing some basketball stories. And one of one of my assignments was to to call Dale Brown, and I'm like, call Dale Brown. I'm like, you know, I, I didn't think that was possible. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm just some kid at a student paper, and so you know, we get his office number, and I call it, and he answers the phone. Not, not the secretary. Yeah. Dale answers the call, and I'm like, you know, I'm Todd Jones from the Kentucky Colonel, and, and he's like, oh, great, that's a, great to meet you, Todd. What do you need? And we ended up talking, and I'm thinking, is this the way it is? Coaches just answer when you call them all the time? But no, it's not the way it was. No, it, it was, that's, it that's was people like Dale Brown who made it really yeah. special. But like Dale Brown, I mean, the last time I'll sit there and be like, oh, I don't have a calm to like that. Okay, I'll call Dale. i call Dale and ask, ask Dale one question. 30 minutes later, it's hanging up. Thank you, bye. Thank right. you, Dale. Like, you, did, you didn't like me around the question. It was just like this, every, just the way he was. I, I saw him just the, the other night here at the last LSU home basketball game. And he, looked, he looked great. This is funny as ever. Yeah, uh, so he, I mean, he, and, let's, and, and, let's, let's let this up. He coached, he coached at LSU for 25 years. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, and he came from like, what, North Dakota, I believe? He came from North Dakota, I mean. Uh, so he comes in with this right. different perspective and he took on Kentucky, you know. He like said, Kentucky, we're going after him. Yeah, like, LSU, you know, I mean, and, Bill, Bill and, was always a guy like he was fighting for the underdog because he was an underdog his entire life. So he took right. on that mentality. And so, you know, it was like always with the, the you know, I'm a, we're going to fight. Uh, and, and, and finally, he got enough players where he could play with Kentucky and, and, and actually, you know, beat them. You know, not a lot, but no way would beat Kentucky a lot. You probably covered uh, the SEC tournament where basketball tournament where he he like didn't go to bed or something, right? That yeah, was some kind of crazy. Yeah, there were, the, 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 for the first time LSU had to go to the basketball tournament the SEC and, and win four games in four days. Most time they play on a Friday, but they would never play the whole all four. Had to had to win three games just to get to the finals. Right. So he decides he's going to prove to his team. For, you know what? Fatigue is a state of mind. It's a state of mind. Oh, yeah, of course so it I'm, is. I'm going to do, I'm going to stay up all night, every night for this tournament. <laughs> all every night. All okay, night. Dale. All right. So they play Thursday, and, you know, and, and we assume he hadn't slept. He looked like hell on the bench Friday. So Friday, he's on the bench. They went again. So sometimes Saturday morning, like about 4 o'clock in the morning, I get this call about in my room, Marriott Marquis, downtown Media Hotel. Said, Hello? Is this Mr. Higgins? I said, yes. Mr. Higgins, this is Mr. Schmidt with the hotel maintenance. I need you to check the barometric pressure room right now. We're checking barometric pressure. <laughs> I'm like, Dale, what, what are you doing? It was I'm downstairs. Dale, you know, it was Dale Brown. <laughs> well, Dale. <laughs> Dale, what are you doing? I can't sleep. I'm just downstairs with me. I'm a bunch of media guys. Come on down to just tell stories. Like tell stories to like sunrise, you know? Wow. But but Dale was kind of a, his his whole sleep pattern was different. Dale would stay up until like two or three in the morning and, and read. That's what he liked to do. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and he, and his, you know, he'd get his six, seven hours and come off a little bit late. But he like, he do stuff like, remember I covered LSU well, one year when I was, I spent one year with the advocate. When I came back as a full-time round, I spent one year with the advocate before I moved on. And that's a whole nother story. But they will call, they will call me like at one o'clock and I'm like, hello, Ron? They'll round say, hey, Dale, how are you? I just want to tell you that you're doing a great job. That's all I want to tell you. He's, he's giving you his approval. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Dale. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Just want to say so, Until you ripped him in the next column. And yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I worked at LSU. I, I came back. I went to Shreveport for a few years. Uh, my, my first, 
My first job out of college, college was Tiger Rag Magazine, which is uh, where the, the whole Bo Ryan thing happened. I mean, when, you know, it was 1979. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and that was about, and about, I graduated May of 79, my first year of college, and I went to work for Tiger Rag Magazine, which was a weekly let, newspaper. Let's set right? this up for our non Southern fans. This is obviously not Bo Ryan, who was the uh, Wisconsin basketball coach of note. No, this is Bo uh, Ryan, the who football was a, coach. A North, North football coach, North Carolina State football coach. Uh, right. Uh, what do you think is this before? Uh, disciple, I should say, disciple. And uh, he was named football coach at LSU to place the legendary Charles McClendon. He was named in December of 1979. So uh, he gets named, he's, uh, he goes out recruiting, and like the first or second week of January 1980, uh, he goes to Shreveport uh, on a recruiting trip. Uh, he, he drives up there with a, a coach, another coach, Greg Williams, and they recruit all day in Shreveport. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Late that night, Bo has to fly back on the private plane because he's got another date in Mississippi somewhere the next morning, and, and the other coach was going to drive back. So uh, the other coach I was the guy I had an interview with that morning. So I went to the – so they, Bo probably gets on a plane and flies back. Next morning, I get, I get to the football office to talk to this coach who was with Bo, and uh, I walk in the office, and I hadn't seen TV. I hadn't heard the radio. They didn't have the internet at this point. Right. And – Everybody's crying. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, happened because Bo's plane went down. Let me, let me, Bo, 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 Ryan, Bo's mm. plane crashed in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. It's presumed dead. I went, what? And I said, I, I said, what happened? He said, he went on a recruiting trip to Shreveport, and, they, and, and Greg put him on the plane, Greg Williams, the coach of Florida, and, and they, it just, they think it was carbon dioxide poisoning, the leakage, and they, they fell asleep and flew up, and they just flew up for us, and, Ironically, right over Raleigh, North Carolina, where his wife and two kids were. Yeah, that's there. what happened with Dan Stewart's and, plane. Yeah, and and uh, and, I saw, and I said, okay, the Greg's back there. I said, do you want to talk about it? I just want to go back and say I'm sorry, and the right. board reschedule. And I said, hey, coach, you know, Mitch Ron, hey, I back him back. No, I'm just sit down, just sit down. And uh, I said, oh, coach, I don't know what to say. He just started talking, and I just let him talk. Hmm. About this, how stunning what be what happened. This played it out play by play for me, right? And I said, you know, and, and but man, I had a tape recorder once. I knew I was taping it. It wasn't like I was sneaking. I, I, right, right. You know, and uh, and I went back and wrote the story. And it was one of the first the first place in Louisiana sports writers contest. First first place I ever won in a contest, any contest. And I, but I was like 22, 23 years old, and I had no idea what to ask him. And the crazy and the crazy thing about this, like I'm on a like. 35, 40 years later, one day, ESPN had a, a special on the Umbo line called the Bo You Don't Know on the FCC mm-hmm. story. They came to me, and I, I talked about it. I, I, I kind of got choked up, actually, on, on camera. Right. Uh, but I actually tracked down Greg Williams all these years later to find out how he'd been. We kind of replayed that night, and I learned some other things I didn't know. But, yeah, and, but I went to work for the advocate for a year, and after a year, when I first got there, there was this, there's this writer on the staff named Joe Planis who'd been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he know and, and Joe was kind of like the he was the thorn in LSU's side. He was the guy who would criticize LSU. The advocate was at that time was very much in bed with LSU. I mean they, they wouldn't say, you know, they wouldn't say boo. I mean, he's like, you couldn't be very critical ever. Uh, it, it was everything against your journalism principles that you didn't like. Mm-hmm. And so I became the columnist when the guy that I, I the, the left, John Adams, who's one of my favorite people in the whole world, he left to go work in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is that couple of the Steelers. So I think over his columns. So I, I, I start kind of pushing the banner into being critical. Right. And uh, when, I, when I got there, this, this writer, Joe Pass said, he said, you won't last a year here. He said, I, I bet you $20 you won't last a year. And so. Is this because you were being critical? Is that what he's saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. They, but because he knew the atmosphere there. They couldn't take it back. So. Uh, I started being critical, and the editor said, he goes, you can't write that one. I'm sorry. You, you can't do that. I said, well, I said, well what, what if I just write that one? Yeah. He goes, no, you, you just got it. I said, what if I, what if I just refuse to write that one? He goes, well, we'll, we'll just reassign you. We'll, we'll put you on high school. Really? I said, yeah. Okay. Uh, you do that, I'll, I'll find a new job in two weeks. Right. And actually, it was three weeks, and that's when I went to Memphis for the commercial field. Because they, had, they had contacted me before I took the advocate job. I was at the Shreveport Journal. 
for a brief period. Uh, right, because you're there to but, be a journalist, not a cheerleader. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, that's, and, but, that's but, the thing. But, but I stayed an extra week just to collect the bet. <laughs> the, the day I said, Joe, it's my last day. I said, Joe, it's one year to the day. And I looked out and he went, son of a bitch. Pretty sure it was pocket, maybe a $20 bill. Uh, $20? I mean, you know, that was... That back was then, it was huge. It was like, yeah. Back in the day. So I, just to get the bet. But then, then I went to Memphis. It was the best move of my career. the best move I could ever make. I got to I got to cover everything in the world. I got to not just SEC, but I covered the entire SEC. Got to know the whole league. I covered Memphis. I covered Olympics. I covered Final Fours. I covered... Uh, I covered... Got everything. But the Olympics were fascinating. I mean just to, to cover and be around the world with different writers and different events and a whole different like set for you, of news What was it like for you as a writer to cover Olympics? Because not, not everybody enjoys that. Some people really, really enjoy covering Olympics. Uh, did you like it? What was it like to cover as a journalist? It, it, was, it, it, was, it was like 12-hour days every day, get up and go all day and do it again. It's like this big treadmill. But you just kind of absorb stuff. I remember before I went and did it, I, my first one was in Seoul. I was kind of apprehensive. I've never covered some of these sports before. I didn't know what team handball was. Right. You know, it's kind of a combination of, I don't know, basketball, soccer with goalies. I mean, I mean baseball, throwing the ball. It was, it was this crazy sport, but I know, but I, I kind of learned as I went along and I, I really got to love it. But I, but it was more the experience of seeing different athletes that you never knew from around the world. Like, like, you know, like, I still contend one of the greatest basketball shooters I've ever seen, a guy from Brazil named Oscar Smith. Oh, yes, um, right. Bob Ryan spoke Oscar, about him on our show. He, yeah. about, about, he comes up Oscar. I said, Oscar, Oscar, what's a good shot to you? You know, what's a good shot? He goes, for me, he goes, a good shot can be taken from anywhere at any time. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and, and pretty much he was that way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you also got and, to see and, Luke Longley too, right? Don't you have a Luke Longley? Yeah, you told me that you had a pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, oh yeah, Luke Longley. Luke Longley at the Olympics. Yeah, so Luke Longley, I think he's playing in America. Come here, he's playing. But I'm, I'm playing for Australian after game. center. Yeah, Australian center. Playing for the Bulls. Yeah, right. Uh, well known. This is a really a, a big, affable guy. Uh, pleasant human being. And so I go to talk to him after the game, and there's a delay. I'm like, how much delay? And and probably one day, you know, Olympic people come out say he's in. He's in drug testing right now. I'll take a little bit longer. Just to, it, it could be, you know, at least about 30 minutes. It was already 30 or 40 minutes. I'll wait. It finally comes out. He sits down with him and goes, hey, mate. That's how you doing this. He goes, mate, I, I need a favor. Says, favor. Okay. I need a favor for hey. what? I guess, mate, I, I, I had a drug test and I was dehydrated. So I had to get hydration. So I, I, I drank a couple of six packs of beer. So I'm kind of drunk right now. <laughs> so... If I say something stupid, would you kind of clean it up for me? I said, sure, Luke, got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was really kind of charming. Clean you up, kind of, Luke. You just got to give me yeah, a beer, too. Yeah, it was kind of, kind of charming. I, I'm, I'm kind of drunk. Uh, well, you played that, basketball that, in college, Ron. So, I mean, you played at uh, Angelina Junior College in Lufkin, Texas. And then uh, did you walk on at LSU after you left there? I walked on LSU. But yeah. I, I hurt my knee my second year at Angelina. Okay. And I, and I kind of rebuild everything. So what, what type of what, what type of player were you, Ron? I was a scorer. That's what I did. I scored. Yeah. I mean, I was. I mean, I, I'm, I, I was a shooter. I could. I mean, I was six five. Sometimes they stepped me in the post. I shoot fades. I had good range. If I had three point line back then, I would have killed it. You were like uh, Oscar Schmidt of the South. <laughs> yeah, a good shot anywhere, at any time, except the South. The South. I'm shooting that sucker from anywhere. Rex, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, you grew up when your father was the sports information director at LSU. When Ace was the SID, Pete Maravich was the basketball player at LSU. It was still Pete. It was, so you grew up watching a shooter. It, it was absolutely magical. I mean, and it's like you got. I tell people, yeah, the scoring was ridiculous because he shot a ton. But when you think a guy that averaged, I mean, he really set a record that I, I truly know that. It'll be here 200 years from now. Nobody's going to ever average 44.2 points a game ever, ever. It's just not happening. I mean, we'll never, for a career, for a career. Four to three point shot. And Think about that. 44 to three point two. shot. This was his, and this was his, this was three varsity years. He probably would have gone up over 45 or 46 had he added a freshman year, but he had, it was a freshman basketball. But when he first got to LSU, uh, 
my father said, hey, we got new basketball coach, Press Maravich. He says, yeah, I said, really? He's got a son named Pete. He says he's going to be the best basketball player anybody ever seen. He goes, well, I looked at the guy. He goes, he's like, he's so skinny. I'm like, I'm like that guy? And that guy's going to be it? Yeah. The best ever? And then the first game as a freshman, that guy went out and got like 66. <laughs> and then throw all these crazy passes that were straight out of like Globetrotter's playbook or, or beyond uh, yeah. that he created. Yeah. Uh, and that was the magic thing. You went there. Maybe some fans weren't there to see the scoring because the LSU fans got so spoiled. They come out of the game like, man, Pete was off about. He only had like, he only had like 38. Well, you know, he just didn't, didn't play well. But she went there for the passing. And it's just like every fast break was an adventure. Mm. What the hell is going to happen now? Mm-hmm. You know, even when he wasn't trying to, you know, try to create a pass, he would just create one. One time he threw a behind the back bounce pass behind his back to his left and accidentally hit his right left heel and bounced back up to the guy on the right yeah. and caught it and laid it in. I'm like, how? That's amazing. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he threw passes that he could call, call, call violations for, and he'd tell the ref, how can you call that? You've never seen it before. And it got to the point, every pregame warm-ups, they would come out and they'd have a drill, they, 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 they put him at the top of the key, and throw the ball, and he'd do stuff like spin the ball between his legs and catch it behind it, all this, all this fast stuff, low-power type stuff. And then, you know, two players would cut past, and he'd throw like a blind pass to one, they'd lay it up. I mean, it was, it was a show. that They knew how to market it, but when not really in marketed. Uh, but even today, I mean, I, one thing I discovered when I went to the NBA was how much influence he had on the NBA players mm-hmm. that I never thought he had influence on. Like, I remember, when I worked in Memphis, I covered the NBA with the Grizzlies, and so you you the chief on the players, like an all-star guy, like a George Gervin or an Isaiah Thomas. Right. Isaiah Thomas told me, well, he goes, he goes, I think he goes, Pete Maravich had a lot of influence. I said, why Pete Maravich? I said, just like, like, you know, didn't play much longer after you were in college. I mean, how? Right. He goes, he goes, I just, I love his whole game. He's like, his passing. He goes, I love when he'd come down and, and, and pull up and stop and pop shot. It'd be off bounds. And before he released the ball, he would just start turning the other way because he knew what was going in. <laughs> yeah. He goes, yeah. so he, says, he goes on the play, on, on the on, on the playgrounds. We nicknamed him Marabitch. Marabitch. because he was yes. such a, he was a bitch. <laughs> he goes, uh, we we come down. I go up and shoot a shot and shoot and start running down the court and going Marabitch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was, uh, was a show. I mean, guys like Steve Spurrier, Dale Brown, Whip Sanderson, Sonny Smith, these guys, they they kind of had a twinkle in their eye because they knew there was more to this than what you might think. And yeah, they, they made, made it, it fun to cover, they, right? Characters make it. Hey, characters make stuff that's fun. That's what you, long after you quit this business, you, were, but you might remember games, but you remember characters more than anything else. I remember, oh, there's this, there's this, 10 years of baseball made, made Memphis their training base for the Olympics. That's when they had college. Mm-hmm. This, this was, Ron Fraser was a manager who was one of the hilarious people of all time. He was to Miami. A lot of great stories about him. But the, 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 the team USA would, was, would have to have open tryouts before they invited people. You had an open tryout. Right. So here it is. Out, it's in Millington, Tennessee, just north of Memphis. They have tryouts on this field. I'm going out there and I see this guy at shortstop. It's 9,000 degrees, just June. It is absolutely boring. And this guy, this guy out there, running around behind the shortstop outfield, shagging balls like an older guy. He's got this full flannel uniform, a wool flannel uniform. What is this, 1924? Like, what is this? Yeah, I think this guy's nuts. So I found I find it. I said, you, you've got to, I found a PR guy. I said, you've got to tell me who is that guy. His name is Lonnie Altman. I said, where do he play this? He said he never played baseball. And he's, I said, so, and so he's, I said, he's like 48 years old. I said, okay. I said, I, said, is he, I know y'all house, some of these people come in like a hotel. Mm-hmm. Does it mean, he goes, no, he's, he's living in his van in the parking lot. I said, it was just getting better and better. I said, he's living in a van in the parking lot. I said, yeah, he'll be out there after this is all over. So I'm going, oh, this is awesome. So it's over, you know, good drink, boy, and go to the van. I go, so I go knock on the van sliding door. <laughs> I said, Lonnie, I'm, I'm, I'm running into with the commercial appeal here in Memphis. I'm doing a store in tryouts, and I noticed your unique uniform, 
and you're 40 hours. I just got to know why you were doing this. Can I come in and, and, and come in and have a seat? He goes, sure. So I get in this van. I look around. He's got all his clothes in there and, uh, you know, you know, baseball books and extra gloves. And I look on the dashboard and there's a spring picture of this old lady on there. So I said, Lonnie, why, why are you doing it? He goes, you know, I always wanted to be a baseball player. You know, I always wanted to be. I never, I always devoted my time to other stuff in my life. And, I'm, you know, I never got married. I was single. And I was, and, you know, and, and, and my mother loved baseball. And she, she also said, Lonnie, why don't, you, why don't you ever try for baseball? And, I, you know, I never, I never had the chance. Because, but when I saw this, I thought, you know, I'm not going to make the team, but it's a chance for me to try out at least a day or two. And, and she'll know that I, and he pointed to a picture. He goes, she'll know I tried to be a baseball mm. player. And I'm like, oh, man. Wow. It was awesome. I mean, like, I, you know, it's like, it's like, you don't know, that's the major thing about sports writing is that you don't know what you're going to stumble into. Mm. And a lot of times it's the sheer gold. Like in an SEC basketball tournament, there's this guy in Alvin Lee who played basketball for Alabama. Oh, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. He's dead. He's dead right. now. got to mess us up. But, the first time, the first game of the SEC tournament, he shoots horrible. He's a guard. He shoots horrible. That's getting me lights it up. I mean, everything's going in. So I go in the dressing room with them, myself, and Joe Bill of Nashville, Tennessee, and we go to his lot at Alvin. Got to ask him, you, tonight you're on fire. You just turned it around. I mean, the other night you couldn't make a shot. I said, I mean, what happened? Did you, like, just get back, like, in the shoot around and really work on what you're doing? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just really work on the struggle? He goes, no, man. I got my girls back. What? Like, girls. And I'm thinking, like, it's like, it's a divorce proceeding? I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to play the jury divorce. Right. And we, we, both Joe and I said, kind of together, like, like uh, gir- girls. He goes, yeah, I got my old kicks back, my girls. And he holds up this, this basketball shoes, and they're like, worn the hell out. <laughs> just like, just worn the hell out. He goes, last night, I had some new kicks on my feet, killing me, man, killing me. Tonight, I got my girls back. <laughs> they sticky, but I love them. <laughs> and, uh, and he like, was right, right? <laughs> he was right. He got his favorite like, shoes on his feet, and he lit it up. I'm like, thank, hey, thanks. And walk around the corner and just clap to the last of five minutes. That's awesome. Like, you can't make this stuff up. That's right. That's, uh, right. That, that's what, I guess, when all, of all the bad things about sports, Ryan, the, the lousy hours, the bad meals, uh, the fact you work insane hours, the fact that you're, you know, all of a sudden you tell your wife you got to go do this when you can't do something with her and she's managing for three days and all that stuff somehow gets worth it when something like that happens. Mm-hmm. It's what kind of, it's why I still do this. Right. It's what, I have journalism students, I have kids ask me like in the journalism class, why do you, I mean, what makes your job, why have y'all done this all these years? I said, you know what? Because I can wake up in the morning and I think I know what's going to happen, but then all hell breaks loose and it's glorious. Exactly. Absolutely glorious. You just never know when a great you know? story is going to come along. And and it's evident in this episode, the great stories you've shared with us. It's been such a pleasure to shine a light on it. all these 40 year, forty plus years that you've been writing about sports down in the South. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed this, Ron. I just, <laughs> some of these stories were fantastic. I just thank you so much. And, and uh, I wish you the best as you continue to run and gun on the keyboard, as you say. Thank you so much. I enjoy being with y'all. Uh, all the show is tremendous. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it, Ron Liam. Thank you for asking me to have me on. Thanks, Ron. Take care. Thanks for listening to Pressbox Access. You can find us here with a new episode every other Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. We'd love for you to review us. Five stars would be nice. Follow us on social media. Drop us an email at pressboxaccess at gmail.com. And be sure to spread the word. Everyone is welcome here. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando, producer Bill Hoffman, and our audio engineer Nathan Corson. I'm your host, Todd Jones. It's closing time. Rock on. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. 
Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at Pit Pass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.